0: The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. All right, are you ready to come to the Word of God this morning? Yeah, you are? Okay. Mark's Gospel. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. As we continue this theme, this preaching series on the Kingdom of God, we land this morning... In Mark chapter 1, this passage really summarizes the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to jump in at verse 14. We're going to read just two verses today. So it's not a, a big passage in terms of content, but it's a big passage in terms of weighty significance as we're going to see. So verse 14. After John was put in prison, as John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. You see, God is about good news. He is good news. Verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. How about I pray? Father, it's a real privilege to have your word in front of us. And it's a wonderful thing to be hearers of your word and to be a preacher of your word. But Lord, I pray by your spirit, would you enable us to not only be hearers or preachers, but actually doers of your word. Because it's only in the doing do we discover life. And so, Lord, would you come by your spirit, Heavenly Father, moved by your spirit, to cause us, Lord God, to understand what's going to be taught, what's going to be preached, so that, Lord, we experience. Your liberation, the wonder, the freedom of surrender. And so I pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And so as we come to this passage, which I just said, really introduces the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, I want us to explore three questions together. The first question is this. It's the what question. That is, what exactly is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Verse 15, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God coming near. And I think this is, what, sermon five in our sermon series. But to date, we haven't really unpacked what the kingdom actually is. We haven't really defined it. And so we're going to do it right now. What is the kingdom? Well, when you grab everything the Bible says about the kingdom, which, by the way, is quite a bit everything it says in the old testament new testament and you bring it together and you reduce it down what the kingdom is you boil it boil it boil it boil it boil it down you're left with two parts or two perspectives or two views concerning the kingdom of god the first perspective is this the kingdom of god is god's here's the key word sovereign rule it's his sovereign reign it's his sovereign authority and so we come to places like Daniel chapter 4 that really point out this aspect of God's kingdom it's sovereign power it's sovereign rule so here we have verse 1 King Nebuchadnezzar and he's the king of the Babylonian empire and this is what this pagan king says about God remarkable words this is what he says he says King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of, now notice his inclusive language here, every language, who live in all the earth, and in verse 3, listen to what he says, his kingdom, namely God's kingdom, is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Now this is remarkable, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar, this unbelieving king this pagan king is actually saying about god and his kingdom he's saying that this kingdom god's kingdom is the ultimate kingdom and because of that it's the forever kingdom it's the everlasting kingdom and since it's the everlasting kingdom every single generation falls under its sovereign rule and authority incredible this means the implication is that whether people believe in god or not whether they know it or not they're actually a part of god's sovereign kingdom but by being a creature you're a part of the creator king's kingdom do you get it So this is the first perspective the 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 sovereign rule of god in the new testament we come to the pages of the new testament jesus actually communicates something very similar after his resurrection he gathers his disciples just before his ascension which really was his coronation in being crowned as king and he says to them in verse 18 of Matthew 28 he says all authority notice the inclusive language again all authority in heaven and on earth in other words that's complete authority has been given to me And so what Jesus is saying here is, again, remarkable. He's saying that every single man, every single moment, every single matter, every single molecule, every minor detail, major detail, minor event, major event is under my jurisdiction, under my domain, under my sovereign rule and reign. It's as if his kingdom is like a blanket that is cloaked, draped over the entire cosmos, and nothing can slip from beneath its authority. That's remarkable. And so this is the first view, perspective concerning the kingdom. It's God's sovereign rule. But secondly, the Bible also defines God's kingdom as, and here's the second key word, God's saving rule not only his sovereign rule, but his saving rule. And so we turn to places like John chapter 3, you know, Gospel of John, John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Here's Jesus having a conversation with the rabbi Nicodemus, and he says to him in verse 3, truly I tell you, now when Jesus starts a sentence that way, truly I tell you, he's going to say something really big, something significant, something that we really need to pay attention to. And so he says, truly I tell you, and then he goes on, no one can see, in verse 5 he uses the word enter, no one can see or enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Do you see? And so this kingdom, God's saving kingdom, must be what? Entered. He must be entered, which means that no one automatically enters this Aspect of God's kingdom. Yes, everyone is a part of God's sovereign kingdom because He's created King, and if you're a part of the creation, you fall under His authority. He is King in that sense. But to actually enter this saving kingdom, you must be born again. You must be born again, born of the Spirit. And so, this is how the Bible defines and depicts the kingdom of God. It is both His sovereign rule and His saving rule. Capish? Understand? Awesome. Now, when we come to our text, (laughs) Mark chapter 1, what is Jesus talking about? Which aspect of the kingdom is he referring to? Clearly, primarily, the second aspect. God's saving rule, saving reign. How do we know that? Well, because of verse 15. Listen, he says, the kingdom has come. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. God's sovereign reign doesn't come. It is. It remains. It just is. From everlasting to everlasting, it is the forever kingdom. And yet God's saving rule actually breaks into our broken world in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why Mark in his gospel kicks off his gospel in verse 1 of chapter 1 by saying these words. In the beginning, it's not on the screen, sorry. In the beginning of, of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, and that word Messiah means God's anointed king. And so Jesus, the anointed king, brings the kingdom, this saving rule, this saving authority, this saving rule and reign of God in himself. And so this is what we're going to consider today, God's saving rule, the kingdom in that way, in that perspe- under that kind of view, that perspective. And so I guess it might be logical to consider the how question. Uh, you know, we look at the what question, what is the kingdom? Uh, maybe the logical step would be to think about the, the how. How do we actually enter this kingdom, this saving rule? But we're going to park that question just for a wee little bit, all right? So just going to place that on the shelf, the how question, because first I want us to explore a really important question, and it's the why question. That is, why does Jesus link the kingdom of God to good news? What, what does he bring the two ideas together? He emphasizes here, clearly in verse 15, as we're going to see, the goodness of the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and what? Believe the good news. And so in the mind of Christ, the king, it's a good thing being under God's rule. His reign, his authority is a good thing. Now, we need to explore this a little bit because I find this really intriguing, especially when we apply a bit of cultural analysis because people in our Western culture in Australia this whole idea of submitting to someone's rule and authority is not deemed to be a good thing, who's with me, you understand it's kind of deemed, especially coming under this God type being that's inherently suspect inherently problematic, even restrictive, in fact I think this is possibly the number one issue people in our culture have with Christianity it's this whole notion of surrendering one's autonomy, relinquishing one's freedom to this God-type being. In fact, sociologists call this the freedom narrative, this way of viewing the world. No, I don't want to bow the knee. I'm happy to go my own way, autonomy. This, that's called the freedom narrative. Hands up if you've heard of this freedom narrative. I did this in the first service, and the response was the same. No one put their hand up. Which is great. So this is all new material now. You're going to get. All right. So I need to explain this. You know how I warned you at the beginning about it being a bit heavy on the brain. We'll put your seatbelts on because here we go. All right. The freedom narrative. According to this freedom narrative, human choice, human freedom, absolute freedom, absolute human choice, is the ultimate goal. It's the sacred value. And, of course, according to this way of thinking the freedom narrative, the main moral evil is discrimination. It's discrimination. According to this view, the only thing that's not tolerated is intolerance. Do you understand? And so when we Christians come along and say things, like I'm saying in this sermon, you need to bow the knee to Jesus. You need to surrender to God's rule, his authority, his kingdom. People in our culture don't think, hey, that's great news. That doesn't register. No, what registers is uh, that's kind of bad. And that would be to give up my autonomy. And so this kind of smacks and reeks of control and manipulation and restriction. And so why would I do that? And so I thought it would be helpful just for a wee little bit to engage this freedom narrative so that ultimately we'll understand why Jesus says it's a good thing to surrender and to submit to God's kingdom. All good? Are you with me? I just need you to nod every now and again. I, can, I am still with you. Even though this is hurting my brain, I'm still kind of with you. But don't lie, all right? Don't say, yeah, I'm with you, when actually you're not. You're thinking about lunch or something like that. All right, the freedom narrative. Here we go. The first thing that needs to be said about the freedom narrative is that it's based on something really good. This whole idea, this worldview is based on something really, really good, and something we as human beings, not any Christians, need to protect. protect. And what, what is it built on, the freedom narrative? Well, the freedom narrative is built on a certain value, and that value is the dignity of every single human being, the worth of every human being. This is, this is what the freedom narrative is largely about, and, and really the kind of the slogan that encapsulates this freedom narrative is called the harm principle, right? It's, well, if I'm not harming someone, not hurting someone, then really I should be free to live as I see fit that's the freedom narrative and 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 there's aspects of that 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 are good there's aspects of that that are inherently dangerous as we're going to explore but really that's that's what it is it's built on this particular value but this freedom narrative didn't just appear out of nowhere it grew out of christianity in fact it was a Christian faith, primarily the, the, the twin doctrines of iamago dei, which is the image of God. Every being, human being, is made in the image of God, and therefore has intrinsic value. And also the doctrine of justification by faith alone. That, that Jesus is your personal savior. And so when this worldview, when these two teachings took root in the world, it was a game changer. It completely revolutionized the way people saw themselves and each other. Because now, you know, uh, Tim, I see you as a human being made in the image of Almighty God, which, which must mean you've got value. And not only that, Jesus died for not only the world, but for you as an individual, as a person. And he died for for me. And now I can have a personal relationship with, with Jesus, the son of God. When those ideas, which we take for granted, took root in the world, everything changed. Really radically changed. And so people started to view each other and themselves as having intrinsic dignity and value. And so this is where the freedom narrative Came from. It grew out of the flowerbed of Christianity. But you see, Western secularism has now taken this freedom narrative to a whole new level of radical individualism. Radical individualism. And the result has major problems with the narrative, this freedom narrative. Even though its source is good, its roots are good, it's things that need to be valued and protected, but the narrative has gone badly wrong. And I, I don't have time this morning to point out all the places that it has gone wrong, but I do have time to look at the major problem of this with this freedom narrative. And it's this. Here's the major issue. The freedom narrative under closer examination is an illusion. That is, this whole idea of absolute human choice cannot be achieved. It's, it's something that's actually impossible. Let me, let me give you this illustration here. Imagine this. You have a 60-year-old man. And this 60-year-old man, you got him in your mind's eye, 60-year-old guy. And he loves, this dude, he loves two things with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. The first thing he loves is fatty foods. I and mean, he just loves high cholesterol, high calorie foods. He's just, he just loves hogging into pork crackling. He loves creamy pasta. So- Am I describing you here, Charles? Uh, he just loves, he loves ghee in his curries. I don't know why I pointed to you, Schmau, when I said that. He just... You know, forget olive oil, right? Veggies, that's rabbit food, right? Just he loves ghee and curries, and did someone say amen? Just said uh, caramel slices and sticky date pudding. That's my weakness: sticky date puddings and heaps of ice. This guy just loves fatty foods. Real source of comfort for him and enjoyment. Secondly, he also loves his grandkids. He loves spending time with his grandchildren. Now you got it: sixty-year-old guy loves these two things. He goes to his doctor. And his doctor says to him, he says, you're now 60, and the last five years, oh, your cholesterol levels have skyrocketed. Uh, that means you've got to change your eating habits. Uh-oh, this guy now is faced with a choice. He has this conundrum before him. Here's, here's his option. Uh, he, can, he can choose to continue exercising his freedom to eat these bad types of food. Or or he can enjoy his grandkids. But the point is, he can't choose both. Do you get it? He's got to restrict one freedom in order to enjoy a greater freedom. And if he's wise, if he's smart, of course, he's going to forego, give up the lesser freedom of, don't say grandkids, food, (laughs) in order to have this better life, greater health. Enjoy the company of his grandkids. You understand? And so he's got to say goodbye to caramel slices so that he can enjoy his kids, his grandchildren. Tim Keller in his penetrating analysis of this, the whole freedom narrative in his book Preaching, Communicating Faith in a Secular Age, he says this, quote. He says, freedom is not, and this is really important here, freedom is not then simply the absence of restrictions. You know, people are saying that. That's what freedom is. Just don't restrict me. Okay? I'm not harming anyone. I should do as I please. No, no, no. Tim Keller says it's not that. Freedom, real freedom, true freedom, is rather this what sort it of consists of finding the right liberating restrictions. Now, I want you to hold that phrase just in your mind. The right liberating restrictions. Just like our guy in the illustration, yeah? He had to restrict in order to enjoy. You get it? Put another way, says Keller, we must actively take tactical freedom losses in order to receive strategic freedom gains. And and really, where we see this played out in life is in the realm of love relationships like in marriage or good friendships. In other words, no love relationship can blossom or grow or flourish unless each person in the relationship actually sacrifices or restricts themselves some freedom or freedoms in order to serve the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, incredibly, what happens? These restrictions, if mutually accepted and lived out, lead to a rich variety of psychological, emotional, relational freedoms that only this kind of love can bring. You get it? You may have to listen to the podcast, right, just to get that. And so, in summary, the freedom analysis or the freedom narrative, with its emphasis on complete freedom, is unworkable. It's an illusion that doesn't really work in real life. To have greater freedoms, you've got to forego lesser freedoms. That's the point. Now, I think we're in a position, a better position, to understand what Jesus is actually saying when he says, hey, you know what, this rule of God, it's good, and you should surrender to it. You should come under its authority because it's good. Here's here's the punchline. The kingdom is good news. Submitting to the kingdom is good news precisely because as we submit to the King of the kingdom, Jesus, well, that is the ultimate uh, uh, liberating restriction. Get my words minced up here. Christ, as we surrender to him, that's the ultimate liberating restriction. How so? Another analogy just to help you out because you need help. We all need help with this. Imagine some employees. As they submit themselves to a really great CEO, guess what happens? They, they realize their potential in the workplace. They actually start to thrive as individuals in the team and the team at large. They, they begin to thrive as they, as they submit themselves to the leadership of this really great CEO. While well, also submitting ourselves to God's CEO, Christ, the king of the world, the king of the kingdom, brings about life, brings about flourishing, human flourishing. Can you understand that? And so ultimately, uh, when you've examined the freedom narrative, the ultimate true freedom narrative is the gospel narrative. It's the Christian story. It's the Christian message. that As we forego, give up our autonomy and restrict that and bow the knee to Jesus, we actually discover life in all its fullness. And this is exactly why Jesus came right in john chapter 10 verse 10 what does jesus say i've come that you may have life he says not just life but have it to the max that's the greek term max your life is maxed out because you are with christ you've submitted yourself to him in galatians chapter 5 verse 1 we read this it is for freedom that christ has set you free freedom Christ has set you free. But to actually discover that, you've got to come under his lordship, this ultimate liberating restriction. Can, can, you, can you see? Giving up your f- autonomy, your, your, your yourself, in order to deny yourself and actually pick up your cross. And, and in that, Jesus says, you discover true life which is remarkable. And so this is the why of the kingdom. This is why Jesus connects the kingdom with good news. Now, last question. The how question. We've considered the why, now the how. How do we actually enter into this kingdom, this liberating kingdom? Well, we've already kind of looked at it somewhat. We need to surrender to God's CEO, but I want to tease it out for us a little bit so that we can understand whether we've actually done this or not, whether we've actually entered the kingdom, this liberating role of God. And so verse 15, this is why it's so pivotal here. Listen to what Jesus says. He tells us how to enter. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. It's right here. He's offering it to us. But here's the way we access the kingdom, enter the kingdom. Repent, he says. Repent and believe the good news. You hear that? The kingdom has come. This liberating rule has come. This is the greatest news in all the world, says Jesus. But the way you enter is through the double doors of repentance and belief. The double doors. My question to all of us this morning is: Have we entered? Have we entered through these double doors? Like, what could be more important than thinking about this? Eternity hangs in the balance, right? If we if we haven't done this, as Jesus said earlier in John chapter three, no one will see the kingdom. No one will enter God's saving rule and reign. And so can you see this is just kind of, the the importance of this is ramped up. Ramped up. What does it mean to actually repent? What does it mean to actually believe? Let's, Let's explore this just for a little bit. Repentance means this. Repentance in essence means to have a change of heart. A change of heart. Which brings about a change in direction. So let me give you this analogy. You're driving down the highway of indifference to God. You're driving down the the highway of skepticism, unbelief, doubt, your own autonomy. And then all of a sudden, someone tells you about Jesus. You, You see Christ, the truth about Christ, God's rule in Jesus. And that captivates you. And in your heart, there's there's emotion. Something starts to change. Your heart is warmed, and, and you're attracted to Christ. You're captivated by Him, and that brings about a change of behavior, yes, but a change in heart, a change in direction. That's what repentance actually is. My question is, have we done that? Have we experienced this repentance? The, the, the second term that Jesus connects here to repentance, and these two things are connected. That's why I use the analogy of double doors. It's not kind of one door, and then you got through another door. No, these a, a double doors that give us access into the kingdom. The second phrase, key term, is belief. Belief. Belief or faith. Repentance and faith. What is belief? Well, listen. It does include believing content like believing the message of christianity if you don't believe the message of christianity then you're not a christian right you've got to believe the content what is the content well the content is places like romans chapter 13 verse 5 that the king himself he didn't please himself he gave up his life for you for me in order to procure your eternal freedom he gave up his freedom so that we could have freedom that's the content and as we accept that, we find forgiveness. And we need to believe that, the content. We need to believe that. But listen to me. This is really important. New Testament faith, New Testament belief is more than mere content. It's commitment. It's commitment. Where you go, yeah, I believe. But with your heart, you say, yes, I believe. And you give your heart over to Christ. You give your allegiance over to him. You say, you did that for me. You went to the cross, Calvary, for me. And a wretched sinner like, like me, you, you, you forewent. You, you, you gave up your freedom to win my freedom. You did that for me. And that moves you in your heart. And you commit your life to him. That is biblical faith. And so I come back to the question. Have we entered through these double doors? Have we experienced in our heart This transformation. Do we believe the content? Yeah, but have we committed our lives to Christ? That's the question. And I think there's probably no more serious question than this. Have you given your life to Christ? It doesn't matter where you come to church. great that you come to church. We've all either come to PCC. But have you come to Jesus? Have you really given your heart over to him, the allegiance of him? Or does something else have your heart? Your career, your family, money, status, whatever it may be. What has your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? Does Jesus have my heart? You might be sitting there and saying to yourself, yeah, he has my heart. I've, I've, I've walked through these doors even though it's difficult, you know. There are things that contest my affection for Christ, but, but I have. I have actually repented. I, I have committed my life to Christ, and that's to you. I want to encourage you to continue down the highway of liberation, God's kingdom. Just keep following hard after Him. You know, I cited Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It actually says in verse 13, You are free, but don't abuse your freedom. Don't abuse it, but actually serve one another humbly in love. And so that's my encouragement to you. If you have repented, you have trusted, serve everyone. Serve people here, PC, out there in the community for Christ's name. But if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what? Now that you've described it that way, what repentance actually is and what faith actually is, I don't think I have done that. I don't think I have entered through these double doors. If that's you, if that's you, I want to encourage you. In your own private, in your bedroom, your own time, pray. Pray. Ask the Lord. Say, yes, I, I think I believe the content. I, I, I do believe that you, you came, Jesus, from heaven to earth as the king to give up your freedom, give up your freedom so I could know your freedom, your liberating rule. I do, I do believe that. But Lord, Lord, I want to believe it with my heart. Would you you come into my heart? Would you change my heart, Lord? Would you save me, Lord? And if you pray that way, here's the promise. The Lord will enter into your heart. Because he says, if you come to me that way, I will not turn you away. I will not reject you. No, I'll accept you. I'll bring you into my kingdom, and you'll know my love. You know, you might be sitting there, and you might be thinking, I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether I'm ready. And if that's you, I want you to continue to explore Jesus Christ, investigate him, keep thinking about him, keep reading one of the gospels. If that's you, would love to kind of help you on that journey to explore more of Christ. But the bottom line is this, we all need to do something. Um, I pray that we would not be indifferent here this morning. I'm sure it's kind of a good sermon bit brain-trippy, the whole freedom narrative. I didn't really get that. No, no, I want us all, not to be apathetic, but to be passionate, to commit our lives fully to Christ, to continue with that, to explore Him, or to actually receive Him in prayer. Amen? Amen. How about we stand, church? Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.